The content of this podcast is for educational purposes only and reflects the opinions of the hosts and guests. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lens Pod, a medical student ophthalmology podcast. My name is Haley, and I'll be your resident host for this episode. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Narm Murdoch to talk about the do's and don'ts of an away rotation. Dr. Murdoch received her MD from Boston University and is in her final year of ophthalmology residency at Georgetown University Hospital slash Washington Hospital Center, where she currently serves as chief resident. She has plans to begin oculoplastics fellowship at Will's Eye Institute this fall. Welcome to the Lens Pod, Dr. Murdoch. Thank you so much for having me. So we always start with an icebreaker. So is there anything fun that you've read, watched, listened to, or done recently that you really enjoyed and would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so after finally getting my fellowship match out of the way, I told myself I'm going to get back into some leisurely reading. Um, I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan, uh, and my favorite two books are Murder of Roger Ackroyd and, and Then There Were None. So I recently finished another book of hers called Halloween Party. It's actually um, the inspiration for A Haunting in Venice, which is, I think, a popular movie now. I recommend all three of those books. They were excellent. Ooh, I've also been reading a lot lately, so I'll have to check some of them out. And then do you have any favorite ophthalmology resources, especially for students or trainees? Yeah, I think the most popular and the one I would recommend for any medical student wanting to learn a little bit more about opto is Tim Root's books and his websites. That's definitely the first resource that I went to as a med student, looking into ophthalmology and exploring it a little bit more. And then, you know, it's a little bit later, you can start picking up the BCSC, but I would I would start with Tim Root's. I think it's more entertaining. Yeah, I, I didn't know about the website for a while, and I really love the videos, especially for Peds Off, though, and I found it helpful. I haven't explored all of it, but... Yeah, his refraction videos are so good, too, so... Oh, I actually haven't watched those. I probably should. Okay, so we'll get into the episode now. So today, we kind of... I wanted to talk about away rotations because I constantly get questions from medical students, and I remember when I was applying, I had a lot of questions that I felt were not easily addressed on Reddit or, you know, if I didn't have a lot of friends older than me applying and away rotations are kind of not a newer thing, but I feel like their importance has really emerged. So kind of wanted to talk first about the decision to do an away rotation. So I think a lot of people are held back by the the idea that an away rotation can hurt an applicant. So I was wondering in your experience, do you believe it's true that an away rotation can hurt an applicant and how so? Yeah, so, you know, away rotations serve more than one purpose. It's not just, you know, a student's evaluation by the program. I think also very importantly, it's it serves as an evaluation of the program by the student. And when you look at it that way, it's not so much that the away rotation hurts the medical student, but it can be an experience, you know, from their perspective, and then also from the faculty and the residents perspective to see how well of a fit that medical student is, you know, for that residency program. And I know, you know, it can be stressful, especially if it's your first away, and you want to impress the people you're working with, or whether it's the residents, the faculty, the staff, 
but it's important to also take that time to assess the residency program, um, see if you think that you would be a good fit there. And, you know, it'll help when it comes to the decision of whether you even want to apply to that residency or where you're going to rank it, you know, if you get an interview there. And sometimes residency programs are not a great fit for the student and vice versa. And the way rotation really serves the purpose to kind of differentiate um, for the student and for the program, which applicants and then which programs are are good fits together. Yeah, I definitely think that most of the time when an away rotator, whether it doesn't get an interview or just doesn't end up matching out a program, it doesn't mean that they were catastrophic or did anything outright egregious not to quote unquote deserve the spot. But um, I do think there can be things that, you know, you see with students that in a sense could hurt them. So I'm wondering if you have any like certain behaviors that you've noticed. I know for me, um, I did work with a lot of rotators this year and they were all wonderful. Um, but I was thinking about how easily, you know, cause you work so closely with them, it could be to mess up. And so I was thinking more of like hypothetical situations of if someone, and again, none of my students did this, if you're listening, but like if someone butted in while you're trying to present. So I think that's one example, but is there anything else kind of along those lines that you would advise students to avoid or. Yeah. So I think probably one of the most important things that I personally look for in a way in a way rotator is the work ethic. Um, I really don't recommend that you come into the resident clinic and sit on your phone and wait to be told to do something. You you want to know your place, and that's something that we practice a lot as med students. Whether you're in the operating room or whether you're in an attending clinic, making sure that you're not getting in the way and you know, slowing the flow of everything down, but you also don't want to be just kind of standing in the corner and and waiting to be told to do something. So students that come in really interested um, right away, set the expectations for themselves, figure out how they can be helpful, but also show an interest in learning and getting to know the residents and the staff. I think those are really ways for you to shine as as a rotator. And if you're applying to ophthalmology and um, you know you're competitive enough to get an away rotation and and be applying, I think we all know that you're very smart and that you're a fast learner and you have a lot of knowledge and you pick things up really quickly. So one of the things to focus on is you know how can you have good communication and team-based skills with the resident that you're working with or the intern or the attending, and you know allow that knowledge to come across so that we can see how knowledgeable you are and how good your clinical skills are, which, you know, the bar is not set very high at all, but um, you can have all of that come across without seeming like too much of a know-it-all. So you got to strike that balance and every program or resident might have their bar set at a different place, but that's where the part where you you have to just be yourself and, and see if that program is a good fit for you and, I try to demonstrate, again, the work ethic and being able to be a team player and then also show us that you have that knowledge base that we're looking for. Yeah, I think all your points hit really well about the fit aspect. And I think circling it back to my original question of, do you think it would hurt you? And that question coming up a lot as 
something that keeps students or holds them back from applying for an away rotation. I think the general message of even if it does hurt you in, I guess, a sense, as long as you're not, again, being egregious, like this kind of tells you that program might not be a fit for you and you might not actually be happy there for four years of residency. And so as long as yourself and you're eager to learn, but not, you know, being disruptive, then I don't really believe in that myth of it hurting you. And I had a lot of mentors uh, tell me that too. And again, I think you should always, if you're listening to this, reach out to a, a mentor who will be honest with you. Cause there were mentors at my school who definitely told some of my colleagues, you just maybe shouldn't do one. And again, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you, but maybe you also don't portray yourself the way that you truly are in new settings that early. And a lot of away rotations, especially at Georgetown, that's where I obviously train now and I did do an away rotation there, but you circulate, you change your location every week. And so if that is an environment where you know you're not at your strongest, then just be really honest with yourself and ask yourself, you know, am I going to adapt well in this short time under a stressful situation where I know a lot's on the line? And if the answer is no, don't do it. But I think if you're like, I really want to, I want to see what this program has to offer, then I don't think you should be held back by threatening to hurt you. Yeah, I think also, you know, speaking as someone who's more of an introvert and probably would not thrive on these Zoom interviews, um, <laughs> an away rotation could be really helpful if you're someone who you know, it takes a few days for you to warm up to someone before you can really shine and, and get comfortable and, and show your personality. And if you get a month with one attending or like to work in a resident clinic, and you think that that would help you kind of come out of your shell a little bit and know those people on a more personal level and, and build the connections and show that you're a hard worker, you're just kind of on the more quiet side, then in a way rotation could really serve in your benefit. Definitely. So then another question I get a lot, which isn't actually something that I immediately ever thought of myself, but then once the question was posed to me, and I have actually had at least three med students or colleagues when I was applying for a ways asked this, was the idea of looking at where you want to apply for an away rotation. So maybe now you've decided you want to do one. Now you're looking, okay, where do I apply? And I have a lot of people who are scared that they're going to box themselves into a geographic area. So they don't want to apply to a program in New York and in Boston, or they don't want to apply to a program in Utah and in Cali, because then they're afraid that the people when they're selecting for interviews will think, oh, they just want to go to the West Coast or, oh, they just want to stay in the Northeast. So I know that you are a part of the applicant process and Georgetown is obviously just one institution, but do you think that plays a big role? Do you think students should be thinking about that when they're applying for away rotations? So to be honest, when I was applying to OAs as a med student, I had the same kind of mindset where, and, and it's probably because I'd heard the same thing. If you want to open up a certain area to yourself, then you should do an away, you know, across the United States or, you know, in the Midwest or whatever it is. But Going through the application process of, you know, the kind of the residency selection process, I feel like that characteristic was much less important than I had previously put weight to. And at the end of the day, we care about having a resident that wants to be at this program and they and you can you can show that interest in many ways. It doesn't have to be that you did an away rotation in the DMV area or on the East Coast. So 
Sometimes you can, for example, submit a letter of interest. You can send it to the program coordinator and have it directed at the program director or the chairman. So the, I felt like those things were weighted a little bit more. Or if you had a letter of recommendation from someone that was in some way connected to our program, or you had someone call on your behalf, I think those played more of a role in helping us determine who was genuinely interested in coming to the residency as opposed to where the away rotation was done. I mean, if you do an away rotation at a program, it does give us some clue that you're interested in coming. So it can be beneficial, but I don't know that it necessarily is required to open up an entire region the way that I previously thought it would. Yeah, I think when you break it down like that too, it makes a lot of sense because most things in ophthalmology in terms of the application process can definitely be more enhanced by knowing someone in the sense that they advocate for you. And I think if you're interested in checking out, because again, Utah and California are two completely different states and programs within the same state can be completely different, especially in terms of the population that they're serving. So if you want to tease out those differences, I don't think it should hold you back Um, And then you just compensate for it in other ways. So you have people reach out for you for the East Coast programs, or you send that letter, as you mentioned. So I think that's a really good point to bring up. There's ways to balance it all. And then what did you personally kind of think about when you were applying in terms of, were you looking for qualities in that program that would emulate what you'd want in training and like how did you discern that because I think it's really impossible with just a website but yeah curious how you did it yourself because I know you did I will be honest that I decided on ophthalmology pretty late so I went into the away rotation applications late as well and I didn't have as nice of a system as you probably did, Haley, for which programs am I going to apply to to rotate at. I, I really just wanted to get an away rotation under my belt before I submitted my residency applications. But one of my mentors at BU made a really good point, which is part of it is you want to think about the location. If there's a specific institution you want to rotate at, if there's a specific city that you are hoping, you know, to explore and see if it would be a good fit for you. Like there are a lot of characteristics that you can look at when you're making your list. But one of the things I hadn't thought of, which was a really good point you brought up is depending on what subspecialties within ophthalmology are present at your home institution, you may want to look at other subspecialties that you may not have access to um, and see if you can do a rotation to get more exposure to those subspecialties. So For example, as a med student, I thought maybe I wanted to do neuro-ophthalmology. And so when I went out to my way at UC Irvine, I spent a lot of time with a neuro-ophthalmologist there and got more exposure to that subspecialty. I didn't have as much exposure to that at BU. Um, Another one that I think a lot of residencies probably don't have too much exposure to is like ocular pathology. So if you're you know, interested in getting a little more exposure to that or surgical retina, you know, anything that you feel like this might be a subspecialty within ophthalmology that I would be interested in pursuing in the future or I want more exposure to. I think seeing if there are institutions with a ways that have access to those subspecialties, it could be something beneficial and exciting experience for you as well. Yeah, I really like that perspective. I've actually never thought of it from that lens 
For me, I, it's kind of a trick question because I actually didn't really have a strategy aside from what cities would I maybe want to live in? And I want to experience living in that city by myself for a month. So that's how I came across DC and Georgetown. A lot of the websites say the same thing and it's really hard to figure out how it's going to be a fit for you, especially if you don't know anyone there. So you have to kind of take a risk sometimes, but on your point of thinking about it from what maybe you might not get exposure to other advice I've given to students who are kind of up in the air is, is there a research mentor that you're obsessed with or someone like an institution, you know, is really strong in a certain research area, because sometimes if you make the right connections, you can potentially get on a project with someone, or at least you now have that connection if you run into them at a conference. And again, it shouldn't be fully that strategy, but if you're at a crossroads and you're like, well, I, I like this region, but I could go here or there, like think about these types of things and maybe that can help you narrow it down a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally agree because ophthalmology is such a small world So small. that the connections you make, they could be like career long. So even just spending a month, like you said, with a mentor, someone that you look up to and you want to get to know, I think that it could be a really good opportunity for that. Yeah. And I think when you go, if you decide to do in a way, and then you're at an institution where any of your mentors have even an inkling of a connection, you should always reach out to them and ask if there's anyone that you should meet. Yeah, totally. Okay. So now let's assume that you've decided to do an away rotation. We kind of already touched on this one, but describing your perfect away rotators, a student who shows up and you're just so pleased. I know you already mentioned the work ethic, but any other things you look for or you really admire in a student when they do an away rotation? I think from looking at someone who'd be a good residency candidate or a good co-resident, it really is work ethic. A lot of it is how they work on a team, how they interact with my co-residents, my juniors, the staff that we work with, seeing how they interact with our attendings, willing to help, but then, you know, not getting in the way when the clinic gets crazy and I think as much as we care about how well you know things and how good you are in the clinic and your clinical skills and all of that is very impressive, but so much of it at the end of the day is the personality fit and feeling like it's someone that you would want to spend a 12-hour day with and that you would get along with well and um, that would fit well in your whole clan. Yeah. And I think being a student, especially now, like I mentioned earlier, I worked with a lot of students, just being a student is hard and being in a situation where you finally find enough confidence to, like you said, not just sit and wait to be told what to do because you always feel like nuisance when you're a student or that you're in the way. And then you're now just going to like prod your head in and be like, Hey, so how can I help? So I think a way, a great way to combat that. And I actually learned this from one of the students that I worked with this year they off the bat were like, hey, I just want to know how I can be most helpful to you in this setting, clinic, or whatever. And in my head, I was like, what a beautiful way to say the question, not come off intrusive, just like wanting to set objectives. Yeah. So don't think about it. Just jump in and say it because <laughs> if you think about it too much, I feel like you're going to talk yourself out of it. And it is super intimidating, especially when you're thrown into an environment where all the residents already know each other. They're just having a normal Monday or Tuesday. They don't even know a student's going to be there sometimes. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I, but I think it's better than just sitting in the corner because I've had friends who were residents when I was a student be like, sometimes I just wait to see how long it will take the med student to tell me who they are. And in your mm-hmm. head, you're like waiting in that silence when you're a student and you're just thinking you're going to say something and then you psych yourself out. So knowing that sometimes they're thinking in their head, like how long is it going to take kind of motivated me to be like, oh my God, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. So I'm going to just come out confident and not be too much. Yeah, so. no, that's totally, that's such a good point. I mean, a number one is introduce yourself to literally everybody. And I don't think you can go wrong with that. I, I agree. It is scary as a student and you're walking in and everyone is doing their own thing and they have their flow and they have their routine. And you feel like probably every action you're doing is somewhat intrusive or getting in the way. But at the end of the day, we're in a residency. We love having students come and we love telling them about what we do and seeing patients with them. So just know that the average resident is very welcoming and and ready to teach and excited to have you there. But sometimes we're so busy and running around that you just have to introduce yourself and we'll take no and we'll make sure that you fit right into the clinic as best as you can. Yeah. And I agree. We all, and people may look scary, but they all usually <laughs> are very excited to have students. Yeah. And, and the other tip I would say that you mentioned earlier as well, but I didn't even think of, I always thought about it, but I didn't know how important it was, but always be kind to the staff. Any email yeah. you send, any coordinator, like does not matter if they're a doctor or anything, like just being friendly to the people around. We we really do take notice of that. And it's important yeah. because that shows how you're going to, if you're going to be respectful or not as a resident. And to me, that's super important. Definitely. Any absolute don'ts? Be just kind of cognizant of your communication styles. Again, we know you're really smart. I'm sure you, you're all like already clinically above and beyond where I was as a fourth year med student. Um, and we love to see that, but know kind of when you're getting in the way a little bit and a disrupting clinic flow. And then when it's actually a time for you to demonstrate your knowledge and your skills, because we do love to see that. I think those are really the big things. And there are some things that you can do as a student that take no skill at all, which is get there on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, introduce yourself to everybody, not just the residents and the, and the faculty, but like you said, the staff being friendly, being kind, working hard, and just showing that you're interested. I think those all go a really long way. Another, another thought I had was sometimes away rotations will task you with like a presentation to do at the end of your rotation. And usually the presentations are not very burdensome in terms of the amount of time and effort you have to put into them. But I would really try to shine as best as you can on those presentations. So put in time and effort into them. Don't do those last second because those are 10 minutes where you have the floor. And that's a perfect opportunity for for you to demonstrate your knowledge and your ability to present and communicate. So don't kind of write those off. I would definitely put a good amount of time and an effort into whether it's a case presentation or a presentation on on a topic within ophthalmology I would put a good amount of time and effort into that because uh, it again it's your ability to shine and, and demonstrate your knowledge and your work ethic as well yeah and I wanted to touch a little bit on when you mentioned earlier to like not getting in the way but also knowing when you can show 
your skill. And I think a good example of that, because I think, again, as a student, you're like, okay, but what does that mean? <laughs> like, what, how do I know yeah. when to step in? And I think a great example is if you're interested in getting better at your indirect skills, for example, not in front of the patient, but before, do you mind if I try to take a look? And then when you do take a look, give it your best shot, but it shouldn't last more than 30 seconds to a minute. Like don't prolong it because the patient will get so frustrated. So I think that's an awesome example of like, if you want to demonstrate a skill, not in front of a patient or an attending, just ask, Hey, do you mind if I try next time we're in the room to look at the slit lamp and no resident that's reasonable should be like, no, there's no time, but don't sit at the slit lamp for five minutes. Do it. Try and see if you can't see it respect the time, get up. And then I think another thing is, and this is something I've struggled with a lot and I'm still working on as a resident, but say yes. Yeah. Do you want to take a look? Yes. Do you want to present the attending? Yes. Do not say, uh, I don't know, just say yes. And then the resident, if they're offering, like I always tried to find time to offer for my students. Oh, you should present because this mm-hmm. is one of the attendings there on the selection committee, or this is a good opportunity for you to practice your skills. And then it's always okay to be like, do you mind if I go over, you know, the assessment and plan with you or the exam? Cause like, I'm not as comfortable in this lit lamp and ask for help when needed, but always say yes. And I think that's something that took me a really long time to learn. Agreed. What do you, on that note, expect a student to know what is going to make me look bad if I don't know it, or what are they going to expect from me if they send me into a room by myself? Yeah, it's a really good question. Every med student coming in is coming from a different place. And again, I chose ophthalmology pretty late uh, in med school. So I definitely didn't go into my away rotations knowing a great amount of ophthalmology at all. Um, I don't set the bar very high at all for medical students rotating with us in terms of their knowledge. I would hope that they have sat at a slit lamp before and maybe know kind of the basics of the ophthalmology exam. Um, at least the slit lamp exam, I don't expect them to be proficient with a 90 or a 20. But I think a really good starting point is just knowing your anatomy, because in ophthalmology, even the anatomy can be a little bit of a hurdle to get through. So if you're going to start preparing for an away rotation, that's why I said, I think Tim Root's book is really good. It really starts off with the basics, uh, try to get the anatomy down, And then also the kind of the basic ophthalmology exam, um, at least the anterior segment, I would say that's probably a good starting point. And then expanding on your knowledge. And even as you're going through the away rotation and you're learning things, showing us that by the end of your away, you've already picked up on so much knowledge that we've spent time teaching you. I think that's something we, in the selection process, we look at maybe even more so than the amount of knowledge you came in with is we really saw this person grow in their knowledge and their clinical skills over the past month. And it was very impressive because I think how you grow in, in your knowledge and your skills over the period of time that you're with us says more about how you're going to grow as a resident as well and how quickly you're going to be able to pick up on things as you're training more so than just the knowledge base that you came in with. Uh, from, you know, before we met you. Yeah. And I think framing it that way brings it up as more of a topic of equity than equality. Because if you're coming from a program with absolutely no home institution, and again, at my institution, if you did the, and I came from University of Miami, which is linked to Baskin Palmer. So if that's your home institution and you do the home elective, there is 
two full sessions where they go over the 90 exam. And again, it's, it's quick and dirty. It's not very elaborate, but they go over how to use the 90. The attending sits in the teaching scope and make sure you see the nerve. You know, they go over the 20 and then they go over the slit lamp exam briefly. So you at least can sit in it, get comfortable adjusting at all of those things. But if you don't come from a program that offers those types of resources, then of course, we're not going to judge you based off of that. And like you said, the willingness to learn, the ability to learn can go a long way. So I think if you do come from a program that doesn't have as many resources, taking the initiative to read as much of Opto book as you can, you don't have to read the whole thing, but it is pretty digestible or even just Googling or YouTubing, you know, slit lamp exam. And then when you get there, even I know for us, usually when we have rotators, we always ask them like their level of proficiency with the slit lamp. And then we work with them early on so that they can practice using it. But if not, it's totally fine to just observe the resident and, you know, absorb it like a sponge and fake it till you make it and ask questions along the way. So I think that you, there's a lot more potential than you realize to learn just even by observing and then simple things. Everyone can, without a bunch of equipment or a home institution, learn how to check a vision, can look up what a tone pen or an eye care looks like. Even if you know how to use a tone pen or an eye care, they're also finicky. <laughs> so it's always okay to ask, like, I'm struggling with this and to admit it than to abrase the person's cornea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, you, usually with rotators as well, uh, I did this especially as a PGY3 when I was working with them a little more closely, but I always offered to stay behind and, you know, have one of my eyes dilated and have them practice. I think if a resident offers that, again, to Haley's point, just say yes and take that opportunity, not just to practice your clinical skills, but also to show your interest and your willingness to stay behind and actually learn and Again, it's more it's more bonding time with the residents, and you, and you get to know them, and um, you you let them teach you, which is something that we really love to do. And if they don't offer that, it's always okay to ask. Like, you know, would it, you be willing one day in the next week or two to show me a little bit more about how to do a good slit lamp exam, like a thorough slit lamp exam, or to do a good fundus exam, and any reasonable resident would be more than happy to stick around and show you how to do that. So it's a good thing to ask maybe earlier on in your rotation um, and set aside a day to, to stick around and learn that. Definitely. And not to plug myself, but I did just do an episode with tips on your indirect and 90 exam with a retina specialist. So yeah, check it out if you want. <laughs> Okay. My next question is, do you think an away rotation is an appropriate place to get a letter of recommendation? So I think that it can definitely be a good place to get a letter, especially if you don't have a home program or uh, there's someone specific at an institution that you were hoping to get a letter from or someone that you think could really strengthen your application if you were to rotate with them and make a good impression you should probably kind of know going into the rotation, you know, I'm I'm hoping to ask this person for a letter, whether it's the chairman or the program director, and see if you can get a good amount of time with whoever it is that you're going to ask a letter from, because you want your letter writers to know you as best as they can. I know a month is maybe doesn't seem like a very long period of time, but 
you don't want to just spend a half a day in clinic with the person and then ask them for a letter. I think even if they say yes, it may not come off very strong. But if you spend a good amount of time with, you know, the attending that you're hoping to get a letter from, I think it's a really good opportunity to do that within a way rotation. On that note, when do you think is the best timing to ask? Do you think you should do it earlier on so that the attending knows and can prepare to have more time with you if possible? Or do you think it's something you should wait till you have more time with them and then ask because now they know you a little bit? Yeah, I think maybe not kind of the first day you're spending with them, but and it also probably depends on how much cumulative time that you're planning to spend with that attending. But, you know, you could kind of spend a few days with them and and get a feel for whether they're someone that would be easy to approach for a letter. And then maybe kind of in the middle of the total amount of time you're spending with them, bring it up and kind of gauge to see if it's something they'd be interested in doing. And that way you can spend the second half of your time with them really trying to shine. And then they're aware that they're going to write you a letter at the end of it. And so they'll, they'll take more note in on kind of how you're performing and be able to speak much more to your rotation and, and your time spent with them. But I think probably after you spent a couple of days with them and, and you kind of know them a little bit more, then you can reach the topic and see kind of what their response is. Yeah, that was, I was going to say something similar or my vote would be kind of after a week or two, once you know them a little, and then you still give them an opportunity if they're able to coordinate, oh, well, then you should come to my OR this day, or depending on every rotation style is different, but some are more flexible than others. And then you kind of give them that chance to be like, okay, well, I want to spend a little more time with you. So let's do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Another question I get a lot is, should you reach out to program coordinators via email? So this is kind of in reference to when you apply for the away, after the away, if that's appropriate and how you best suggest going about that. So I think that it's always nice uh, for, you know, the program coordinators typically uh, when they get an email expressing interest or a thank you email after the rotation, they typically forward it along to the chief residents, the program director, maybe the chairman as well. And it's always nice to get those emails. Again, sending some type of letter of interest or um, a thank you letter, it's always a nice gesture and it's not going to hurt you. It's not something that, you know, we're annoyed to get, or it's like a burden for us to get by any means. And, you know, maybe it won't necessarily help you um, in every case and in every program, but it's not going to hurt. So those are little gestures that are just very nice and thoughtful. So I, I think, it's probably a good idea to reach out. That's what I would probably do, you know, whether or not it really ends up being helpful to the program. Yeah, I sent an email and submitted my applications. And then I sent an email to everyone yeah. that I <laughs> I think it's always good to send an email saying, you know, the right program name, of course. And again, I didn't apply to like a hundred, but I applied to a couple and I just said, you know, I'm really excited about the opportunity to potentially rotate there and then provide one maybe personal detail or reason why you're looking forward to it. And again, not saying it'll do anything, but sometimes the coordinators get a ton of requests and it might just help to draw attention to your right. application even having been submitted because I imagine it's very hard to keep track of. And I know that 
I heard through the grapevine this year, like at our program, there were more applicants than ever. And I think mm -hmm. away rotations are getting more competitive. So anything to just draw more attention to your application in particular yeah. is always a plus. And again, it shouldn't be anything overly effusive. I think yeah. it should just be concise, respectful. Don't make it seem like you're expecting anything ever. And then I think a thank you email is always definitely, I mean, they put a lot of work in and it's, it's always appreciated and it's just a kind thing to do. Absolutely. And that's some of these programs make their rank list. I mean, that's at least for a fellowship because there aren't as many applicants and interviewees, but they'll make their rank list, you know, the next day. And even yeah. still, it's nice to get, a, it's nice to send a thank you email because, you know, it, it's just, again, it's like a kind gesture and it's thoughtful and you're thanking someone for their time. It's not always that you have to get something back from them. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it kind of speaks to your character. And I, I think it's a good thing to do. I agree. And any advice to students who listen to this or already knew before listening to this? I don't really want to do an away rotation. Is that bad? <laughs> well, I don't know what the kids are doing these days. I'm like, <laughs> pretty far off, pretty far off from med school, I feel, even though, it, I mean, it hasn't been five years, but I remember as a med student, there were certain subspecialties where, or specialties that you wanted to apply into where it was almost required for you to do in a way. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. Again, when we look at applicants from our program, you know, having gone through it uh, for the residency selection. I think there are so many factors that come into play. I mean, med students these days as a whole are so impressive and they're doing a lot of research and they have good letters and away rotations. We look at that to some degree, especially if they've rotated at our specific program, but I wouldn't stress too much about not having done one. Again, away interviews, they serve a purpose also for the applicant. So if there's a specific area, a specific city that you want to spend a month in and or a residency you're really interested in and you want to get to know the people or get a letter. And it's important to think about how the OA would benefit you as well. And don't be so hyper-focused on, you know, it being an audition with a program or that you won't match if you do in a way. Um, it's, it's definitely a two-way street and I, I don't really think that it's necessarily required or that you have no chance of matching if you don't do in a way. Yeah, I know a ton of people who didn't do a ways and matched at phenomenal programs. Um, so I think to that note too, there are certain programs that tend to be a little more loyal to people that do an away rotation there because when they select their away rotators, it's people that they're genuinely considering for residency, whereas some programs are really just looking at who applied first. Um, and again, I don't know which programs are which, but that is a thing. So I think it's always good before you go and commit a lot of money and time. And again, it should be for your benefit too. It shouldn't all be about how can this you know, serve me in the the match process, but it is also feasible to think of those things and maybe do a little digging on your own of, oh, like do people that typically match here, did they do an away rotation or does that not matter? Because there are still programs where you do an away rotation and you don't right. get offered an interview and again, no program owes you anything. And I think if you go into the rotation with that mindset, that will be harmful, but it does stink to mm -hmm. go and spend all that time and money and, and not yeah. be offered the interview. So I definitely think 
optimizing your time and resources is yeah, important. Totally so. agree. Well, thank you so much. That's all of my questions. I really appreciate you chatting. It was lovely talking to you, Haley. Yeah. Thanks for being here. For this episode, I wanted to throw in some extra tips because I do get a lot of questions about away rotations from friends and medical students that are applying. Some other questions I get are about finances. So how much it typically costs and that also has to do a lot for some people with how many away rotations they decide to do. I think one away rotation is plenty. I think two is a great number. Three, if you can afford it and you have the energy and the time, go for it. But I, I definitely don't think it's necessary. I think it's really a personal decision. In terms of how much it costs, I think you should allot yourself money for the rent. So I think that for one month, which is typically the length of away rotations, it costs, at least for me in the city of DC, I believe I paid $1,800 or $1,850. So it's just a little under what rent can cost, uh, depending on the space. There are certain places available that, you know, you're renting out one room or you're renting from a friend. So it could be cheaper, but it can be very costly. So definitely take that into account um, and certain cities will be less. Also, there are lots of programs now that offer scholarships, especially for promoting diversity in medicine and diversity in ophthalmology. So I, I highly, highly recommend if there's a program you're particularly interested in going on their website and looking up any scholarships they might be offering. Also, a lot of organizations will offer scholarships. I'm not sure if Young MD Connect does, but I know that AAO sometimes will and women in ophthalmology. So just follow whatever programs you're a part of on social media, because I find that that's always a good way to advertise scholarship opportunities. Another question I get a lot is when do I apply? When should I even be looking out for a deadline? And the sad thing about applying for away rotations and the frustrating thing is that VSLO, V-S-L-O, it's the AAMC website through which you apply for most away rotations. I say most because something I did not realize is that some programs do not offer their application on VSLO. So make sure that you go on whatever website you're interested in most Look up the website of the program you're interested in. Make sure that they offer on VSLOW. Um, usually it will be in their residency recruitment section of their website if or if they require a separate application. It's very few programs that do it. But again, I didn't realize it. And I remember looking out on VSLOW and not seeing a program I was interested in and then realizing a month later that they offer a separate application. I was probably a little late to the game. So look it up. I would say start collecting materials. You can start getting things together as early as February of this year, which should be when this episode is released. Um, I think most deadlines or the openings when you can apply is actually typically April 1st, if I'm remembering from my own experience, but some can be earlier in March. I think it's safest to just have stuff ready in March. So things you can prepare would be a brief personal statement. And again, this personal statement, I think should be different than the one you're going to use for your actual application. Um, so don't give them everything yet, but still have someone proofread it, make sure it's professional, make sure it has good grammar and that it's, you know, good quality. 
an updated CV. You can get your immunizations updated. So make sure you have a recent TB test. Um, that one was one that I remember having to get. Make sure you have like a 10 panel drug test. A lot of places require that. Um, and a lot of places, mainly for the immunizations at least, require that you have all of the documentation prior to being able to submit your application. The drug tests and stuff can come later, but in terms of having a recent TB, making sure you have all of your immunization documents, making sure you have your flu vaccine uploaded, and like the sometimes it will ask for the specific number affiliated with the vaccine that you received, which you can typically find on your CVS documentation or whatever pharmacy you got it at. Um, and your COVID vaccination. Other things you can do if you are unsure when a program is going to release their application. And let's say, for example, you are really passionate about applying to this one program and you really want to do an away there. If you have any uncertainty, just go on their website. If it's not listed there, email their program director um, or their, sorry, their program coordinator is probably the best person to contact. And again, it might be difficult to find that contact person's information in that case, try to outsource, try to find a resident if you know them or a friend knows them and ask who the best person to, to reach out to would be. And then you can also just start checking these low as early as March 1st, I would say, and just kind of seeing what applications are up. And then unfortunately, I just think every week, like do a scroll and see, you know, is anything posted? In terms of that's all for, you know, when to apply in the timeline, in terms of housing resources, a popular resource I know people used was rotating rooms. I personally didn't find a ton of great options on rotating rooms. I actually used a website called Furnished Finder. Again, I'm not sponsored by any of these websites, but Furnished Finder is typically created for travel nurses, um, but they also allow medical students. And I found a really great room with wonderful roommates when I did an away rotation. So I highly, highly recommend that website. And there's a lot more options than rotating rooms. Again, I found Furnished Finder by searching on Reddit, short-term subletting. So just type that in for whatever city you're in as well. Um, and then there are Facebook pages for medical schools. And I think it's always fair to ask a friend at another medical school, maybe if it's in the city that you want to rotate at to post on your behalf or to add you to the Facebook group so that you could post and inquire about it, it can actually go a really long way. Word of mouth and just asking friends, hey, does anyone know of anyone that wants to sublet their room? Because either they're doing an away rotation or fourth year is so flexible. People go home a lot if they're not from the area where they're studying. So all reasonable options. And again, just make sure that you're being safe when you're doing it and that you, everything you're using is credible. And then people will ask a lot of times, how many away rotations should I apply to? Away rotations have become very competitive. And I think you should definitely apply to more than you want to actually attend. I don't think you should apply to a huge surplus. I think I ended up applying to eight. And again, I was wanting to do two. And I eventually got two. Um, again, I think people's biggest concern is what if I apply to one and then I turn it down again, it's, it's always hard to know at some programs, the chair or the program director is directly the chair or the program director is directly involved in selecting the students who do an away rotation, but at a lot of programs, that's not the case. And again, it's very hard to, it's very hard to fault you on, not being able to do one, but I do know someone who shared an anecdote of they got accepted for an away rotation at a certain institution and then 
they got a different opportunity that better suited them and they turned down the original offer they had and they didn't end up getting an interview at that institution. And again, there's no way of knowing if that factored in. I have a personal anecdote of having applied to an away rotation at an institution and I could no longer go and I still got an interview at that institution. So again, I think what matters um, in trying to limit the chance that it negatively impacts you is doing it timely. So for example, for me, I found out, I found out five or six months before the actual rotation were, were to happen that I got it. But then I told them that I couldn't attend a month after them telling me. So there was still five months for them to find another applicant to fill the space. I think if you're going to back out a month before or less, then I, I just would keep it. And, or again, if it's a program that says yes, if it's a program that says yes to you, and then it's not super high on your list and a program you want more says yes to you and you have to make that choice. I, I think you just have to weigh the risks and benefits and go for the one you want more and then, you know, hope that the one that you wanted, but maybe not as much still allows it. So I think those are my general tips on logistics and I hope that this was helpful. And to learn more about The Lens, you can follow us on Twitter at at the lens underscore O-P-H. And make sure to visit www.lensophthalmology.com.